Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Formation Studio co-founders Roman Magbanua and Sashi McLean Magbanua are a couple completely in sync with one another, in work and in life. Before opening their dance and movement space, Roman spent years in visual design for film, television, and videos, while Sashi paved her PR career path at Tourism Vancouver and agencies Yulu and Popcorn. Roman was born in Winnipeg and raised in Vancouver, growing up in an intense home environment. His tough and independent yet observant spirit led him to follow his creative pursuits in visual arts and motion graphics, working for companies such as Microsoft, Black Rhino Creative, and Loud Crow Interactive. Sashi grew up in Cloverdale, a competitive cheerleader through her high school years. A serious injury sidelined her, causing her to rethink her identity beyond the sport she was dedicated to for so long. Eleven years ago, it was a mutual love for dance that brought them together at a class, and after a short stint as just friends at first, they became partners in life and eventually in business. In this conversation, we explore the delicate balance of Roman's childhood, growing up with an addict father, how they do MDMA together once a year as a home date night in order to reconnect with one another, the loss of Sashi's younger sister in a car accident in 2014, the grief that came with it, and healing through dance. Formation Studios' thoughtful approach to dance and movement as both a therapeutic activity and philosophy, and what it means as a couple to put each other first while taking care of oneself at the same time. Please enjoy this incredibly deep and insightful conversation with this reflective, connected, beautiful couple, Sashi and Roman. Sashi and Roman, welcome to The Craft. Thank you so much. So excited to speak to you today. I know. I'm excited for this this duo conversation. It's been, it's been so nice getting to know you guys more over the past couple of weeks. And I was, I was thinking about how you and I met, Sashi, and it was way back in the day. You were still at Tours in Vancouver. And I think I was either at Love Social, and I think I was still doing editorial and, and freelance writing on the side. And I feel like we just crossed paths at events. I saw your face. People were like, you need to meet her. And uh, we share some mutual friends. And uh, it's all kind of come full circle now that I'm practicing my sound therapy out of your guys's formation space, which is uh, a dance and movement studio in Mount Pleasant. And what an honor has been to get to know you guys more. It's been so nice. I love how things kind of circle around and I feel like over time things have gotten closer and closer and I always remember like staying on touch with you on social media and like being mm. very connected to what you would share and um, I was saying to Roman how you got us into that Solange concert when you were at Rennie and it was the coolest. And <laughs> <laughs> it was a good show. Did it did it just blow your guys' mind? Shivers. Yeah. Shivers completely. It was very interesting to see from a performance standpoint how close she got to everyone and how she was able to connect with every single person there in a very intimate way with just holding everyone's attention Mm -hmm. in that space yeah and you know i've never shared this 
publicly, and I'm I'm sure not that she's ever going to listen to this, but I I don't feel like she would mind me sharing this because I think it's just um, it's something to be said about her artistry and how intentional she is. Um, after so there were three shows in in the Rennie Museum, and I luckily got to see two of them, and um, the first one, the the entrance. So the way that she and her her band and her dancers exited after the performance led into the second floor. Um, and there was a room that was like around the corner. And after the show was done, I was like so excited she was in the building that I went back to my desk, which was in that room, and I was working. And when she came out, I overheard her talking to her band and her dancers. And she said, I was so nervous that everyone was so close to me. I had no idea that, that um, you know, the guests of the show would be so close. So she was saying how nervous she was. But then she started talking about what she wanted to do next time for the next show. And so she was talking about how she maybe wanted to move this way instead or that way instead. And so the next show, when I went to go see it, she did move differently. So she she didn't do the exact same thing for all of the shows. Um, she iterated. Very cool. Yeah. You could tell that there was so much um, power and intention in how she moved through that space. And it was so beautiful and so unlike any other musical performance, let alone from such a large star. I was yeah. just captivated. I have a lot of respect for her. I think she's she her, the amount of ingenuity and creativity that she has and, and that she's she's trying to pioneer. I think is pretty incredible. I think she has a new new agency or she's like rebranded her St. Heron agency and doing a lot more kind of like graphic design work and brand work. Yeah, her music videos are beautiful from a art direction standpoint, from a creative direction standpoint, just the colors and music and even the color grading on what she does. Mm. It's very um there's a really specific tone I feel like that she captures that plays along with the music. Mm. And it's something that I've very rarely seen. Usually I'll see that intention with a Kendrick Lamar video um, or a Childish Gambino um, with, you know, this is America or things like that, where it really breaks a dimension visually, but also with the music as well. Mm. So saturation as in it's like very rich um it's a little bit more muted but i think it's because like the subject matter she's talking about mutes up but then there's dynamic parts in the music and there's dynamic parts in the video that really hold your attention in in both ways but it makes you feel something in a multiple just multiple ways and that's the way i think i like to learn and i like to teach is when you can have a kinesthetic auditory and visual, I mm. think she gives that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, without the without the physical, unless you you physically dance to her music, which you're also very able to do with her beats. Yeah. But everything just really connects. Um, again, going to the Kendrick Lamar point of view, where you know he's in a chapel and there's a light pouring through, or this is American, he's dancing without a shirt, and you know the the. Um, performance aspect of the facials and what's happening it just really connects you to different points in times and really shares a perspective and I think she's one of the artists that does it very well and very intentional with what's happening Mm -hmm. and I think when artists do that 
it really shows through like when Beyonce released Lemonade and she's walking around smashing cars with a bass over that you're like yeah okay she's going through some stuff mm-hmm. uh, I feel that <laughs> and yeah. it, it shows yeah. um, and it's not just um, dancing or cars or you know whatnot yes no I agree with that intentionality because This Is America I thought was I mean everyone thought that was such a powerful video and um, and there's a scene at the end where he's he's running where he's running and his face is like very dark and I remember because Bob Rennie the founder of the company I used to work for is a prolific art collector he has a lot of Carrie James Marshall um, paintings and when I saw that scene I'm like wow I wonder if Kendrick Lamar was influenced by KJM's paintings because the tone on his face, how how black it was, that bright like the white of his eyes in that scene was like this very particular KJM mm. painting. But I was like, I I wonder if it went that deep. And I'm sure it probably it probably did. Yeah. Anyways, that was a <laughs> that was a different segue, but I love that. <laughs> but you know, you're talking about you looking at um, various you know, creative pieces and the way you think about things. Roman, I'd love to go back um, in time to your, your childhood and uh, like just have you tell the story of, of who you are. And um, you, were, you were born in Winnipeg, yeah, but raised in Vancouver. Tell me about your childhood. Um, I grew up in a very full house. Um, I have seven siblings. I'm the youngest of all seven siblings. Um, two were full blood brothers, and the rest were half from my dad's previous um, engagement. I'd like to say, um, and being a Filipino family, everyone was just family at that point. Uh, I. It's interesting growing up in that um, environment and understanding now who I am because. One of the things that I think I carry from that is I eat very fast. And Sashi's always asking me, why do you eat so fast? And I'm like, when I was a kid, if I didn't eat fast, I didn't eat. All the food would be gone. Mm. And there was this thing about respect growing up that I remember where you have to do what the eldest says. And so if your mom or dad says, do the dishes, it'd go to my eldest sister, which would go to my next brother, which would trickle down all the way to me. And I got to the point where I realized I'm the baby. I think I'm the favorite. So I said, I don't want to do the dishes. And then they'd go, okay, and they'd just send it back up again. <laughs> and so that's how I got out of doing things. Um, but uh, it's very interesting. You know, I grew up in a very multicultural school, so I learned a lot of things. Um, I And the experiences I had growing up with um, the diverse group from everything from, like, uh, the Aboriginal um, cultures that were integrated into my learning at school was very interesting now where the world is and they talk about all this uh, segregation of of what people are going through. I have such a different outlook on, on what's happening. Even things with um, that have come up in the past of the Black Lives Matter movement, the Stop Asian Hate, and most recently with the residential schools, this is something that I've was very integrated into my childhood and, and shaped who I became later because I don't know I wasn't very interested in school I like hanging out with my friends we mm. we we get called all the same names so you know racism to one of my friends was the same racism we get we'd stick together because of that and it would sometimes be from uh each other's cultures you know mm. mm-hmm. like someone would call me chink and then me and my friends would all get mad 
And then someone would say the N-word to my other friend. And then we'd all get mad at that person. <laughs> and we'd kind of defend each other. So for us, it was just very integrated in life. And I feel like I, as a child, as much as I enjoyed my childhood, I think there were a lot of battles that I didn't see that I was fighting with that as well. Mm. Um, and on top of that, I think there were parental traumas that I was going through with mm -hmm. my mom and dad um, mm -hmm. in our uh, you know initial talks I was saying how my dad struggled with addiction um, and that in turn put a lot of trauma on my mom and I think one of the things that we didn't talk about is when I was very young my mom decided to take a bunch of pills and I remember finding her and I was six years old and I tried to wake her up she worked at a casino so I was like hey mom wake up you know she came home at four in the morning and it was maybe 12 i'm like i'm hungry <laughs> you're like can, can we eat she wouldn't get up my brother at the time was sleeping on the couch my two brothers and i would try to waking them up and i said hey mom's not waking up and they go she's sleeping she's tired she just got home from work i'm like i'm hungry and they're like okay well just wait we're, like we're gonna sleep too so i tried waking my mom again and then i knew something was wrong and I remember going down, like, uh, we lived on the second floor, going down each stair. But one of the most vivid things I remember seeing at that point is, like, my legs were really small, so I had to go, like, one stair at a time. And my phone was cut off at the time because my dad pawned our stuff and we had, like, we didn't have money for the phone. And so I ran to this college across the street. I called 911, and I remember, like, jumping to knock the phone down and then jumping to hit the nine and the one and the one and they're like what's wrong and I, i'm like my mom's not getting up and they're like okay well um where are you and i said i'm at the school and i gave them my address and they said do you have a phone i said no we don't have a phone you can't call me and they say how we go and i'll go I'll put a rock at the door and they're like okay can you stand the phone i'm like no i gotta go now and i remember i i just left the phone or something and then i ran back and then uh I just remember that whole scene where like people came in and my brother's like whoa mom's not waking up and and that whole thing happening so that was interesting in itself because i didn't know where i was i think actually now thinking back to it i kind of blacked out like who i raised me in that point where i was not with my mom it was definitely my my next closest brother romer but there was there's a time there where i just don't remember so you know uh that happened at a very young age and i think I became very independent from that point on and uh, just matured quickly. But I, looking back at my childhood, it was, it was really fun. Like there's still so many good moments out of that. But mm -hmm. there was also so many like um, things that I don't think a, a child should have gone through. But I think it really made me appreciate like the times that we're climbing a tree or, you know, making playing cops and robbers or pl making paper guns with my friends and like running around the neighborhood because we also had a really tight-knit neighborhood um, where all my friends lived and and things like that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know I think the thing and and you know I'm really sorry that you you had to to go through that that's it's a really traumatic experience to have to have at a young age and you know not at the time really have the tools to understand what that all meant and how to to heal through that and something that probably in your adult years you look back on and have begun the, the healing the healing process. Um, and this this independence, can you describe what that independence was like going into your teen years and how that manifested for you? 
then you were saying that you were really interested in art at a young age and that traditional forms of schooling really didn't resonate with you. And so I'd love to understand you as a teenager as well. Yeah, I think it was really funny because my mom would say, hey, do you want to be a doctor? Or I think you should be a lawyer or a nurse or any traditional Filipino <laughs> occupations. And I would say, you know, I like art. Or she'd be like, okay, does that make you happy? And I would say, yeah. And she would tell me, well, do that and, and find a way to make that well, to be frank, she would say, find a way to make money doing that. And I'd say, okay. Um, and so I'm speaking about that independence. I emancipated myself from my mom when I was 13, and I lived with my brother who was 19 at the time, which is crazy now to think about that, my, my 19-year-old brother raising me. And from that independence, though, I always f liked comics, I liked cartoons, and so art and communication was always really big to me and I think it's because when I was a kid I couldn't really describe what was happening to the point where I felt like I was communicating exactly what I needed for people to understand so from that drawing pictures or an action is so much easier to kind of encompass the emotions that you feel but maybe not see mm. like red everyone knows that's anger or love but you know, red, orange, and like in a really jagged form creates tension when you see it. And so people know, okay, that, that, that's pain, that, that, that's not good, whatever the case. And so just going through that, I think I found a lot of, I want to say calmness in just art, graffiti, and comics, cartoons, anything like that, because there was something for everyone or I felt like whatever I saw within art cartoons graphic design graffiti it just felt like it was on the pulse of whatever that person was feeling mm. and and you could see that from one one look mm -hmm. would you say that you were really were you a sensitive child when it came to or, or teen when it came to to feeling things or were you more hard on the outside and a lot of feeling inside oh god no i was a teddy bear like mm. i tried i tried but i'd be that guy who who would uh stand up for his friends but like my voice would shake and i'm like oh come on stop shaking <laughs> <laughs> even as that like even as an adult if i get angry or whatever i'm like oh man i'm too sensitive in the inside but mm. like i'm very protective at the same time mm -hmm. but i you know it's uh it's a weird thing you know, getting into a fight, but like you're crying, but you're winning. Yeah, <laughs> I'm throwing punches. So Tears many, are rolling in my so eyes. So many feels. Yeah, my friends are like, "Yo, you're winning. Why are you crying?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> I'm like, "I just hate this guy. Why does he make me feel this way?" Yeah, they're mm. like, "But you're winning." I'm like, "I know, but it feels like I'm losing. Cause why are we even fighting? This is mm. stupid." And mm -hmm. like a lot of things always uh, feel senseless to me. In, in a, I think with everything I've gone through, I'm like, this is so senseless. Why are we, why is this even a thing right now? Mm. Mm. And you eventually went to VFS, so Vancouver Film School, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then tell me about your journey there and how it led to eventually what you were doing for work, which is creating motion graphics, visual design, user experience. Um, that really opened my eyes. Um, honestly, when you don't when you're not exposed to certain things you don't know the possibilities that are out there and now when people talk about representation i'm like oh my god yes and even just hey this is an occupation where you can actually animate or you know uh 
understand how to make a cover and it's it's lucrative it, and honestly it's not something i ever thought about of like who designed the this ad the spot never really thought about that and so going to school i really gave it my everything i researched all the top production houses i researched all the top artists and i would measure myself against them and my teachers would say well you know you can't be too hard on yourself because your stuff isn't as good as this person and i said why i'm like why would i want to compare myself to someone who's at the same level as me i i don't want to be like them i want to be like the best and so i would really try and do that and really funny story i hurt my knee and i think i tore i had a minor tear and then there was a bus strike and uh me and my girlfriend at the time broke up so i was staying at her best friend's boyfriend's house in strathcona and i would crutch from Strathcona Elementary because that's where he was doing running day camps to the Vancouver Film School campus uh, like every day and my friend's like can you take days off I'm like no I can't and he's like I don't think this is good for your knee I'm like I don't think it's good for my knee either <laughs> and so I would do that and I had, I had uh, bruises under my armpits from the from the crutches, the crutches. yeah um, and then I would sleep at school and the program manager at the time was like you're not allowed to do that I'm like, but I'm here till four and I it, I can either cab home or have money for food for the whole month. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, what else could you do? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, I'm like, it's okay, I'll figure it out. What that meant was like hiding in places to go to sleep <laughs> and, then, and then crutching or getting a ride when I could. Um, and on top of that, since we're there so late, and my mind kind of ran away with me. They had a rule of if you were late three times, you failed the class. And then I think at a certain point, you get kicked out of school if it's like 18 times or something like that. And I was on like my 17th time. So for the next six months, I had to go the whole six months without being late. And that was one of those like, do you know David Goggins? No. Okay, so he's a ex-Navy SEAL and he talks about like eating souls. When life gets hard, he's like, you smile through the pain and, and you know, if it was the devil putting you through this pain, he'd be like, oh my gosh, this guy's more crazy than me. <laughs> so I, that was my moment of, okay, hell or higher water, I'm, I'm going to make it to every single class and I'm going to show everyone that like, I'm not a fuck up. And it's funny because I don't think anyone thought that, but in my head, I was, I made up the story to keep me going. It, to very Michael Jordan of me to <laughs> make up something that didn't exist to keep me going. And so I finished school because it was something that I loved more than anything. And years later, going back to teach, when I asked the people in the program, do you know this company? Do you know this company? Do you know this artist? And they don't. I was literally, I looked at the person I was mentoring and I was like, what are you doing here? Mm. Like, if you don't know any of these people, who are you comparing yourself to? What are you doing to get better? And It was interesting because I had such a, I guess, aggressive style to myself to go through school and to understand that. But it was one of the best times in my life in terms of growing up in an environment where people supported you. And I don't Mm. know if that was a school, but, you know, you pay a lot of money. You'd hope that they'd support you. But it was just a bunch of people going through all the same stuff and it was I feel like there's not a lot of many moments in time where everyone is going through the same many of the same things and you just 
feel like you're all in the same place. Mm, yeah, of course, everyone's journey is super different. Yeah. Mm, I'd love to put a pin in all of that, um, all of that experience um, for later in the conversation when we talk about the, the studio. But Sashi, I wanted to move over to you. You were born in Richmond, and then you moved to Cloverdale after high school. And you grew up a competitive cheerleader. I did. Yeah, that was a new fact that I that I learned <laughs> yesterday. I, and we were talking about, I, I watched Cheer, the docuseries on Netflix, and I was fascinated by the the sheer grit and dedication that sport it like is all about completely it it's so funny because my dad always makes tells the story of me being in grade 7 and deciding to try out for the high school cheerleading team and he was absolutely terrified and was like oh no what's my daughter in for in high school and then I was very lucky to have a fantastic coach who ran that program she was an ex gymnast and she was a teacher at the high school and she made everything very focused on the athleticism and the team uh, building elements. So we never cheered for games. We only ever focused on competition. And so I think it was one of the most kind of forming elements of my adolescence and into my adulthood because I learned so much about commitment and um, pushing through difficult times and also that unwavering um, dedication to your teammates because uh, my friends and I joke about it now because I'm still extremely close with the women or the girls that I met at the time doing cheerleading because you're literally responsible for their safety when they're up in the air and you are the person throwing them and catching them. Mm -hmm. And we're, our, my friendships are so close because all of them are from that high school phase um, or that, that teenage phase of doing cheerleading together, which is crazy. And Cheer was such a wonderful docuseries because it really – emphasize the the parts of the sport that I really connected with. We were not nearly as talented <laughs> but, <laughs> or skilled as the as the athletes on that program. Um, but I think it really cap captured that commitment that we all had to each other and to to pushing ourselves through that way. So cheer was a huge part of my of my development. Mm, it's like the biggest trust fall ever. Yes, it yeah. is. Literally, I've I, I always joke with my um, with my best friends because one of them's like broken my nose. The other one has like th threw her elbow into my lip and p punctured my like tooth went through my lip because of that. Like oh we've all had so many moments mm -hmm. that are like extremely physical um, in those in those ways. But we were so committed to each other in, in those moments and working towards the same goals. So, yeah, it's it's been very good for my for my friendships. Mm. Yeah. Tell me about your mom and dad. My mom is the sweetest person in a room. She will make friends with anyone. I took her for a walk at Pacific Spirit Park uh, earlier in the summer. She's literally like so enthusiastically saying good morning to every single person we pass. I'm like, mom, you, you don't need to do that to every person. Um, she's also the kind of person that makes sure that every single possible need could ever be addressed like if you go camping with this woman it is like a luxury experience because there's not one thing that you would not have packed you want to make muffins okay we could do that we could make <laughs> muffins um so she's she's a very very strong woman gone through so much um I think trauma in her growing up in the Philippines and um losing her my uncle her brother to suicide as he battled with drug addiction his I supported her. She supports my grandmother. Um, she's just such a strong, strong lady. 
And my dad is probably the most, like, integrity is the word that comes to mind for my dad. He's, like, the most value-driven person, like, in um, after my sister died, when he came home, he was still in Africa. And he came home, and, like, one of the first things that he said, he's like, well, we have to start a scholarship for her. And it's like my dad is always the kind of person to think about the greater good, and I think that's reflected in the work that he does too because he works overseas and um, kind of does what he thinks is his part in trying to keep the world a good place. Mm. And, yeah, he's just a very virtuous man. Mm. Yeah. And, and you, what were you like as a, as a child and, and then into teen, I think teen I, years? I think as a child, I was totally a brat. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, I, I definitely had a spicy side to myself. I was always the mean one to my cousins. Um, but I grew up and was much nicer as, <laughs> um, as a teenager. Um, but yeah, I think as a I really became focused on my relationships and my friendships and was very, very um, interested in doing good. Like I, I felt like I had those restraints on what good was as a teenager and what a good girl was and, you know, doing well in school and, um, you know, showing like, I, I want to say like these kind of per- ideas of perfectionist ideologies and tendencies especially in in high school and and just being a good girl and and you know doing well and doing getting good grades and doing what I was supposed to do and not you know getting into trouble as as my other friends were having fun mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 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 no I can, I resonate with that quite quite a bit you know it's like sort of this this role that you play you just want to be the the good girl who does everything right and in that way you're not burdening your parents mm-hmm. 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 and I think my sister and I had a um a seven or eight year age difference and so I also took a lot of responsibility I think for being like second mom in a lot of ways especially when she was younger so I think I grew up with kind of a different level of responsibility um because because of my parents working hours and and that kind of thing so I think I, I naturally kind of went into more of that role as well. Mm-hmm. And then you tore your ACL in university. Was it, was that devastating for you? Like, were you heartbroken that you tore your ACL and sort of had to put the cheer, the the cheering on, on the side? Yeah, that was a very difficult time for me because um, it was such a big part of my life and that injury really changed the way that I had to function. And like the dedication to the team was still there. Like I still went to practices even though I just sat um, and I still traveled to our big competition for the year even though I couldn't compete. And I was, it was really heartbreaking to me because I also had a coach that year that um, really disregarded our physical well-being. And I think that really frustrated me because of the way that he handled things. And, um, and it was upsetting and it really changed the way that I had to identify because after cheerleading being so committed to it I had to find new ways that I could see myself because it was not only my social outlet it was something I or in addition to being dedicated to it from kind of a physical outlet it was also my social outlet it was also it just took up so much of my time that I had to find new ways to figure out who I was after that yeah I was even gonna say from even just your daily schedule like that would shift 
massively because I'm sure you had like lots of practice hours and they were like probably like clockwork. So even then, it's just even how you function from your day to day. Exactly. Mm. I completely my whole my whole schedule changed. I needed to find new ways to to find friends and to socialize because if ever, all my friends were chilling practice still and I was not like it yeah. was a different it was a different scenario for me. And I probably spent like at least four hours a day at the gym like at the cheerleading gym training. So mm. yeah, it was um, a big shift for me. So how did you find those new ways? Like what did that turn into for you? I think it was um, a good time for me to refocus on school and I was able to, <laughs> probably attention I should have spent there anyways <laughs> at the time, but I did refocus on my on my studies. And I think at that time I was in PR school. So I was doing really well and felt like I had a bit of a more of a trajectory in my career rather than just going to university and not feeling like I knew where um, where that was going. And then eventually that inspired me to go to a dance class and I needed a new creative outlet. I needed a new physical outlet. I remember dragging my cousin um, to come do like a hip hop drop in hip hop class with me one Saturday afternoon and feeling like very nervous, but it, it was a really good place for me to start that. Mm, and it's how you two met. Yes. Yes. Yeah. At Harbor? Was it Harbor Dance Center? Yes. I love this story. I feel like it's such an incredible story because you guys met 11 years ago and then you had a year break when Sashi went over to New York for an internship and then you came back together with more intention in your relationship than, than before. Yes. <laughs> I love the silent finger pointing. <laughs> like this is this is you. <laughs> yeah, I I don't. The story is really funny because when Sasha introduced herself to me, I didn't know that she was going to this event with me and my friend. And she turned around. And she said, "Hi, Roman. My name's Sashi." Obviously, I was like, "She's so into me," and I wasn't. <laughs> um. And then the only way I knew how to flirt was to, well, actually not even flirt, to show affection is to, you know, make fun of the people I care about fondly. <laughs> and um, before before the, you know, whole pouty lip thing, uh, everyone would do duck face. And I remember looking at Sashi when we were taking a photo and asking her, like, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> she, you kept she, asking me if a bee stung my lips. I thought he was so mean. <laughs> She, and she was but asking, he secretly was in love with you. <laughs> uh, she didn't know what I was talking about. I'm like, what, what's wrong with your face? And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, your lips, they like quadruple when we take a photo. Like, what are you doing there? <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, she she didn't like me very much after that. And uh, we took another dance class together. And I asked her again. I'm like, you look awful. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? And... Um, <laughs> She she was super sick. I, I think she was coming out with the flu. And uh, I got her a Gatorade and I told her to relax. And um, I really took care of her because I did really think fondly of her as a friend. And from that point on, I think um, we just started to build a really, really good friendship, actually, mm -hmm. uh, before anything before anything else. Yeah, it was it was um, kind of a turning point. I remember having, being on a phone call with my girlfriend being like, I think I have a crush on this guy she's like who and I was telling her all about him um but I wasn't sure yet because I think it was in my early 20s and I was very open to kind of whatever happened I hadn't had a lot of relationship experience at this point and so um, I was just letting things unfold naturally 
Mm. But tequila always helps with that. (laughs) A little liquid courage is is never a bad thing. (laughs) So she was finishing school and I was saying we should celebrate. And she said she'd pick something up. She goes, I have tequila for us. And I organized our friends. After class, we're going to go sit down and celebrate with her. And everyone was there and she shows me the tequila and she's like, well, we're going to do shots. And I was like, yeah, you guys should do shots. Okay, I'm going to go. And she looked at me and automatically asked me, where are you going? I said, oh, I, I'm doing a show for, I think it might have been Richards and Richards or one of the clubs. And I was doing the visuals for it. And I said, I have to go to work now. And she's, she asked me, you're not going to stay? And I said, nope, have fun. And I left. And then she said, I'm going to save this tequila for another time when we can share it together. And um, I think another time we're going to go out, she had a calculus um, test to study for. And I said, okay, I'm going to lock you in my room. I'm going to clean up out here and we'll wait for everyone to all of our friends to meet here and um we'll, we'll go together but i'll take your phone and i'll make sure you just concentrate so she was in my room i walked my dogs i cleaned up the house and i actually forgot she was in there and i opened the door and she looked up at me and smiled and honestly at that point i was like oh my god i like that smile's gonna be the death of me that's actually mm-hmm. what i thought and it's so cheesy but that's actually what i thought and then you know, she did one of those slow motion looked up and all the hair just like <laughs> out of her face and she smiled. It's a, it a movie scene. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa, this actually happens. Like time moves slower when it's moments that matter. And I remember mm. we went out that night. I think there were maybe five of us. There were a couple of people sleeping in my living room. There were a couple of people sh- in my bed with me. There were uh, me sashing two of our other friends. One friend left because it was very hot. And then the next friend left because it was very hot. And then it was just me and Sashi. And I... I just, I hugged her and we're going to sleep. And then um, I remember feeling this like surge of electricity. And I told her and I said, I've never felt this before. After the fact, I said, I've never felt this before. The moment I hugged you, I had this surge of electricity. Um, And then, you know, she turned around and it was really funny because we argue who made the move on who. And I say she made the move on me because her forehead was on my chin. (laughs) And we kissed and she keeps on saying, I mean, move on her. I'm like, there's no way my mouth could like <laughs> contort itself to kiss you. You had to look up. And I I had my arms around you hugging you. And so you had to have made the move, first move on me. And, <laughs> and now you agree to disagree. We agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was so fascinating we were, when we were chatting yesterday that you were both telling me that once a year on a very specific, around a very specific time, you both have a date night and you do MDMA together to lower inhibitions and and chat and and reconnect. Yeah, that was, I think, one of my, it's one of my favorite things that we do in our relationship. And I was never, like I said, growing up, it was the good girl. So I was never very experimental with these kinds of things and had quite a few judgments on taking drugs. Um, But after some really good conversations with our friend who's a doctor and um, Roman kind of educating me on the the more therapeutic uses of things like MDMA. Um, It was something that I opened my mind to. And after going through the loss of my sister, I became much more open to different ways of healing. And while it took some convincing, we had this first MDMA date and it was so beautiful and so unlike anything I'd ever experienced before in the tension that was set behind it Roman made the house like he cleaned up for me he like made the house super cozy like put made a pillow for it put on this like amazing playlist made sure that like our minds could be completely free and have no um kind of 
hanging tasks over us and we are just able to be really present with each other and it was a pivotal moment for me because doing that together not only did it allow us to have this new kind of connection but it was also the first time that I feel like I'd seen it's like you're holding a flashlight and you can see everything in front of you but it was the first time that I'd like turned the flashlight around and been like oh my god there's all this other stuff here Mm. and so I think that was a huge shift for me and how I developed as an individual as well because I didn't even know that there was all this other stuff that I could kind of poke away at and start pulling apart and start asking questions about and um, being on the drug allows you to do all of that without the same kind of judgments or fear that you would not you would maybe have in regular life so while it was it's beautiful it's a beautiful way for us to connect it also was beautiful for me as an individual and I think that's what Rome really wanted for me and kind of prompting this too mm-hmm. you say convincing I'd like to uh, reframe <laughs> that as as educating okay fine <laughs> because when I came uh, and May I was telling you I had like a dossier I was like okay this is what's happening at Johns Hopkins this is the effects of what it does on your body this is the brain mm-hmm. I really wanted to and the way I've always thought about it is from a way of opening yourself up to something deeper um, of understanding and not just partying and I really wanted to make sure that this isn't something we're going to go frolic around in the city and get into mischief this is really we're going to just be at Mm -hmm. home just mean you Mm -hmm. and experiences whatever happens yeah because you you were telling me that you um, really respect ritual and ceremony and you've done ayahuasca yourself yes yeah yeah and I think you had such a uh, I've never heard anyone describe it before but you were talking about um how they they tell you to have like a very clean body um and I'd love you for you to say um the reasons why they want you to have a clean body because I thought it was a really beautiful explanation about the medicine yeah um from my interpretation of what I've read and what people have told me when you're in an ayahuasca ritual, Aya is very possessive over you because it's her experience that she's taking you on. And if you have, let's say, you smoke weed or alcohol in your body, it it just feels like disdain. You know, I, I think it's uh, the one way it made me feel is that if, let's say, you have a one night stand and you go home to your girlfriend or whatever. And she knows, but you don't know she knows and you're trying to hide it. You know, something like that effect mm. where you're you're trying to. But um, the purity of what that is and what that experience is, is it just has to be an agreement that I'm doing these things to show you that I'm committed to this experience. Mm. And that's what that whole ritual meant for me and everything the shaman told me. Um, I respected it. I respected it to uh, the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do really love this conversation in and around this, this, um, this trauma and this, this healing. And so I want to get into formation. But prior to, to doing that, I wanted to explore a little bit, Sashi, about losing your sister uh, to a car accident. And tell me how that felt for you and then also how you moved through through that grief process since then because we were chatting that grief isn't linear it comes and goes it ebbs and flows yeah um so my sister and her boyfriend Cody passed away in a car accident on Thanksgiving in 2014 so it was a weird day um 
because I remember I was baking four four pumpkin pies, two for this friend's giving party we were going to that night, and then two to bring home to my family because my sister loved, hates pie but loves my pumpkin pie. And my mom had kind of texted me and called me earlier in the day, and she's like, I haven't heard from her. Like, she's she should be, like, it's very unusual for my sister to not pick up. Um, so there was already kind of a seed of uncertainty planted um, throughout that day. And then hours later, we still hadn't heard from her. Um, my mom and I are, I we were at our friend's giving dinner and I excused myself because I just couldn't concentrate anymore. I was just looking at my phone, waiting to hear an update. It was so unusual. The weather was awful that day. It was like torrential, torrential downpour. And um, my mom, I go into the second, uh, the second room and I'm just calling my mom and we're both we're both calling hospitals trying to see what happened um seeing if anyone had heard anything and then I think I was calling Richmond General Hospital and my mom called me back so I switched lines and it was just her screaming and I could just hear her and the police officer picked up the phone kind of explained what happened so there the officers are there with my mom and then I had to call my dad and let my dad know because my dad was in Africa and that was the straight that was a strange and heavy moment for me to realize which i only just was journaling about and roman kind of blew roman's mind when i was telling him about this how weird it was that i as my dad's like adopted daughter had to call him to tell him that his real biological daughter died and how weird of a triangle that was mm. at that time um, and only something i just realized so like like how grief evolves like there are things that still surface like years later um but anyhow we it was the first significant loss I'd ever experienced I was 25 she was 17 um and it was just chaos your world goes upside down everything goes black and white and for me at least um my family though is very very close and we felt very supported and very loved through that experience so there was a lot um of people holding us up at that time but I think as Actually, one one interesting part is because it was a car accident, um, victim services is there th- um, through, I think it was Delta that the accident happened. So they they really call you and nag you to, to go see someone, which I'm so thankful for at this point because they would literally call me non- every other day being like, have you booked a grief counseling appointment? Have you booked a grief counseling appointment? So I finally did because I just wanted them to stop calling me. And I'm so happy that that was part of their process because going to grief counseling was extremely helpful for me. I was able to connect with this therapist that I really um, felt comfortable with right off the get-go and helped me navigate what was so chaotic and what was something that was so unfamiliar to me and so different than the experience that like my mom or dad felt as well because grief as a parent I think is quite is hugely significant in a in a different kind of weighted way Um, and actually learned from my counselor that often parents tend to grieve better with other parents in more of a group setting whereas I I think I needed that individual space to figure everything out on my own and it just changed over the years I saw my counselor for probably five years pretty regularly like very um, consistently at the beginning and then over time it would it you know decreased in frequency but through that I just learned um, a lot of coping a lot of different ways to cope and journaling was one of the huge ways that I um, helped get myself through that initial phase and whether it be writing letters to my sister and I have like a separate journal that I was doing that in for a little while um, or 
a lot of it was also numbing and I watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy at that time and literally would just lay on the couch and, and like eat barbecue chips for a long period of time and that's um, I think it was a few weeks into that where I actually also remember her saying like if you feel like moving like that's a good thing for you to do too so that's where I found we're reconnected with dance because I hadn't danced in quite a few years but um, I saw a friend teaching a dance class and it was to a Beyonce song and I love Beyonce. So I was like, okay, this could be a good moment for me to, you know, move differently, care for myself in a different way. And I went to that dance class and felt so free from my mind because it was the first time that I was out of my own thoughts because I had to concentrate on what was being taught to me in the choreography and I had to move my limbs and it was so consuming and I remember leaving that class just being like wow that's the first hour since she died that I wasn't just thinking about it and it became a very therapeutic outlet for me and that's kind of what prompted dance to be such a big part of our life and now evolved into formation. Yeah, so it was RSVP 33 first, and then now it's formation. And you guys have your own studio, and it's it's beautiful. So congratulations. Because you opened that in 2019, yes, right? Yes, that's so right. So it's still fairly new, Yeah, like the it, formation iteration of it. It feels like forever, though, because of COVID. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, know, you like just want to get, a, very get after new, it. But very old, like, Old. It's a time it? warp. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, for for it being around, being still quite newish, you've had some incredible collaborations and partnerships for seasons, Lululemon, Arcteryx, Telus, which is is awesome. Um, but I also, and you guys are very involved in with youth and communities, and so lots of good work going back into the community. So that's great. And I also just really love, we were chatting yesterday about where the the name comes from and there's a lot of layers to uh, quite a, I just a uh, several I was a lot a lot <laughs> several layers to the name formation which I'd love you guys to to share um yeah the name came from first off us observing what our clients go through and then we pulled to make sure that what we're observing was true for the people that we saw and really what we're noticing from everybody that took RSVP 33 was a transformation of self. You know, you'd walk in one day and they'd say, oh, I can't dance, I have two left feet. And they'd leave class and they're strutting to their car. Mm. Um, and the Formation CDO came out of that from the sense of transformation, um, formation of self, formation of groups of people, of what types of formations you create. And even just understanding forming and the F is in the midst of being fully a regular F but the reason why we shifted the logo so that a little piece of it is off is to really show people that we're always in a stage of building ourselves up mm. and that we're never really complete because our idea of progression and completion always, always it's always moving and um, yeah that's where we really wanted to when people saw the name or saw the logo, they understood what it meant or like internally um, connected to it. Mm, yeah. And I, the reason why I, I resonate so much with what you guys do is there's just so much intention that you put into your reason for existing. Um, but also you're very um, about connecting with the body and the brain and the heart and then also the music. And it's like that 
you're you're so prolific in building user experience and it it kind of has come full circle to what you're doing with the studio too. Yeah, I think looking back at all of my life experience just led me to this one point in time and I think from this point forward my next few life experiences will lead me to another point because before opening the studio I was working with Microsoft in um, the augmented reality space as well as other tech companies and understanding dimension understanding a space and how you move through it how you occupy it how every little thing can change how you are in that space really led me to understand what formation could be what an empty box with mirrors could be mm-hmm. uh, what it, and then adding in lights and adding in music and then what that feels like when there are people in there and how they observe it and how they feel it and how that can change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and just also how um, dance itself and sound can really move emotions through you and out of you if they if they're trapped then they can come to surface and you can you can feel it you can see it you can accept it and let it pass as it as it needs to i think the fact that we never created this as a space where someone was aiming to look like an idea of something it was really always so self-serving because it was my own space to heal and it was what i was needing for myself at that time i think that intention and those roots have really come to flourish because that is the culture of the space like people go there to take what they need for the hour that they want for themselves sometimes it's a new mom who like is you know taking that one hour break that she gets from her very consuming life with her baby and and whatnot or sometimes it's you know everything else in your life is falling apart and you just need to escape from from it and or sometimes it's there to celebrate because you're feeling great and you just want to like move through that emotion and have an outlet to do that. So I think because our intention is always so in, informed in, in yourself and how you want to be, um, it's come to life in a really, really powerful way for people. And it, it's, it's really cool. It makes me very happy mm. to see that other people use that space as the way that we always wanted it to be used. What I think is really interesting hearing us talk about it now is when people come to formation and they choose a class to take, I think we're one of the only studios who talks about the after effects of mm, what yes. you feel. And you guys are very educational like in your social media about all of these things. It's, incred- it's incredible. And it's on our website as well. And mm. I think when you go to take a class, you don't ever th- think you're going to pay for what Sashi just described. You're, mm. You know, you're not you're not going to buy an S class and say and think to yourself, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna get stability in my life <laughs> after this. Or or I'm a, I'm I'm paying for escapism today. Yeah. But it is all of these things and it it's weird when there's not a tangible to what to what you're buying. Mm-hmm. And, and it's um mental or even physical. Right. Yeah. No, it's 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 incredible. We were talking about integration yesterday and and um and how important that is in the in the healing process and can be bypassed quite often. Yeah, I going back to ayahuasca rituals and Sashi talking about her therapy, um, with all of these experiences that we had, one of the things I decided to do when I was researching everything after my stint in technology, I went into coaching and I took a coaching program. And that was important for me because everyone talks about unpacking 
what's happened, unpacking emotions. And I love that. But what I didn't see a lot of was integration. After you do a ayahuasca ceremony, one of the things they say is like, be very gentle with yourself after. Um, be aware of what you're, <clears throat> what you're allowing yourself to be around and how you move forward in space because really it's a funny thing to touch the universe and then come back to reality and someone's talking about social media. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a buzz killer when you've just been in the ether of the world. Right. And so for me, I wanted to talk to Sasha and collaborate with her and find ways that we could create formation so that it helps people integrate back into the world after these breakthroughs, either with themselves, with a friend, with uh, talk therapy, with anything like that, mm. to, to give them tools to really be able to move from the present to the future in a more impactful way. Mm. I love that. I love that so much. There's so much intention. Yeah. Well, I have a couple more questions. Four. <laughs> Four, specifically. Um, as I, I was saying, getting to know you more as, as a couple, I, I can't help but notice and appreciate the beautiful way that you guys fit together. And it's not because you're exactly alike, but it's because your individual traits are super complementary. I mean, nobody can see this, but they're literally, Sashi is all in white and Roman is all in black. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's it's beyond the, the color coordination or not coordination. Um, but Sashi, you were saying that Roman has an incredible ability to see things ahead of time. And Roman, you were saying that Sashi brings a lot of lightness into your life and that she really helps ground you if what's one thing that you would say to each other right now straight from the heart you're the best <laughs> I think Rowan is literally so I tell him all the time I don't know if he takes it seriously but I always tell him he's a genius I feel like he is so so incredible but does not recognize it sometimes mm. I really think he's the best I would just tell Sasha I love her. Like, I love her so deeply. Um, but he tells me that all the time anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things that, um, when I was talking about imagery again, it's one of those things that I really can't um, express. And I think that's why that shock of electricity is, like, in my body all the time. Mm. And I cannot actually find a deeper meaning than, than love verbally to communicate that to her. Mm. It's so beautiful. I was just thinking sometimes you feel like you you know everybody thinks they're the star of their own story. Sometimes I feel like I'm the star of my own story, but then other times I'm like am I here to make Roman this like the superstar of his story? Mm. Because wow. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder that. And then I go back into my own head and I'm sure he feels opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I do. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we talked about really early on in a relationship is, you know, I think in a cohesive relationship, I love you so much, I'll put you first. But what I think works for us is that she loves me so much, um, she puts me first as well. And although we're very independent, we we have that respect of, I love this person, I'm going to put them first. And it just works out that we just take care of each other and not in mm -hmm. a way where 
we need the other person to take care of us. It's just something that we assert upon ourselves to do and it just works out. Mm. But also on the note of being very complimentary, we're very polar opposites when we're not on the same page. Yes. Mm. Like we can't even see the other person's side <laughs> oh, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scale, everyone. There's a scale. <laughs> Real electricity happens then. <laughs> oh, just a few more question, questions for you guys. Sashi, if Chantel was here in this room right now, what would you like to express to her about what she brought to your life for the time she was here? I think she showed me one of the moments that I, I don't remember if I said this to you, but um, one of the most impactful moments I've ever witnessed was at her celebration of life, seeing we rent, we had to find like a huge venue because it was the loss of two senior high schoolers. And so it was a whole high school and a huge community that was coming out to to mourn them and likely the first significant loss for all of these youth. And it was hugely impactful for me to see like an auditorium of 1,200 people for a 17-year-old. And I was like, wow, this is how much like you can touch people at such a young age. And I think that has really shifted how I go through my life because you know that what you do really makes a difference with people and when you're gone like people feel it and at 17 to see how many people she touched I think I always carry that with me um not just that she's gone but knowing that you have the power to touch a lot of people Mm. yeah so that's something that I know she's always with me though Mm. yeah yeah that's really wonderful to feel her all the time, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Roman, you grew up with a father that was an addict. And reflecting back on that experience, what would you tell your younger self who is going through that, knowing what you know now as an adult? Tell him it's going to be okay. I mean, even though he knew that, I think as a child, if I said that, I would say, yeah, I know. I, I was a pretty smart I like kid. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything um, I could have told myself at that time because I feel as a child under understanding that like my dad was an addict but he also showed me when he was sober that like how much he loved me and my mom was an incredible rock so I don't think love was ever absent from my life mm-hmm. I think at a certain point I just realized that some adults aren't equipped to have all the tools mm-hmm. and I, I just to elaborate a little bit I think when I was six or seven I looked at my parents and I was like you, you two shouldn't be together like you make each other sad and then I went to go play <laughs> and mm. then uh them like looking at me and just being like you're a kid you don't understand and I'm like no I I think I see everything in the purest form I and that's yeah so I don't think there is anything I could say aside from it's okay but I definitely think I would just tell myself I know <laughs> mm. Mm. and my final question the question I ask all my guests With what it is that you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? I think everything for how I operate is all about living in a way that allows other people to find the light within themselves, um, despite the difficulties and maybe feeling seen that that is possible for them. Um, I think I'm really comfortable sharing my vulnerabilities and feel like when other people know that they are not alone in that, um, find power in that as well. So I think allowing people to be seen and see themselves for the light that they have and what 
you know, can come from that. Mm. Roman? I'd like to leave legacy with my children. I, I think over the past little while, um, when we talk about change and creating change, it's always been the most effective in your immediate community. So legacy from my children or child would be to be a good role, some like a really good role model or, you know, something to create a framework of and how they want to affect the people around them and have that ripple through their community. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think a legacy model for my children to to have a good idea of um, what it means to affect people around you. Mm. Well, you too. Thank you so much for who you are and what you're giving back to the world, to your communities, um, your amazing openness and generosity toward me too and being able to come in and, and use the space that you've created for so many other people. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very grateful you guys are, are in my life. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, May. That was so nice. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.